Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey there, and happy Saturday. Welcome into Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week. I'm Pete Sweeney. It's a new version, a new day of Best of the Week because we shuffled up our Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network schedule this week, and we can now include the Great British Chief Show, then moving to Wednesday, Arrowhead Pride's Out of Structure, moving to Monday, and that's where we'll begin with their season preview. We'll continue with the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show that starts around 1445. John Dixon and I discuss the unofficial depth chart and the surprises that were solidified upon its release ahead of this Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. We'll take a quick break, and then around the 31-minute mark, it's the Great British Chiefs show and their new day of Wednesday. They turn their attention to the Cleveland Browns and show and BK. No Ron the Show Hughley this week. Around the 42-minute mark, they'll go over the three offensive keys to the game for the Chiefs. Finally, we'll cover the storylines to watch with the sideline reporter of this game, CBS Sports' Tracy Wolfson, a great interview series with her. But let's get into it. I told you we would start with the new Monday edition of AP Out of Structure with the Chiefs season preview. We're starting off this season with our season preview. We actually have live football games that actually matter starting this weekend. Ron's put together some great over-unders for us to discuss our predictions for this season that's going to start this weekend. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I can't believe it's here. Uh, It's funny. I've been meaning to tweet it. Uh, But I have had, like, multiple dreams. And I usually am not a guy who remembers dreams, but I've had – three dreams the past week about being an arrowhead in one in some capacity or another so my 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 body and mind are ready for chiefs football so i'm ready man all right well let's start off with the first one the most important one the guy that is the dream for all of chiefs fans and chiefs kingdom patrick mahomes how many passing touchdowns will mahomes have this year you set the over under at 39 and a half yeah, I thought 40 was a good number to to go off of. And and I think some people might see that and say, oh, that's over. It's my own. And, and I do think he could have an MVP season, but I'm actually going to go under. I, I think he doesn't get to 40 this year, mainly because I think the red zone offense will be better in terms of running it in. You know, we'll, they'll be more effective, more successful at running in uh, scores instead of throwing them in. And yeah, I, I just think it's the offensive line, you know, being able to run the ball a little better. And I, and I am hot on the defense, and I do think that is going to affect it as well. I think the defense will put them in positions a lot to where they don't need to pass. You know, like 2018, we see him go 50 touchdowns. It's, it's because the defense was so bad. So I'm actually going to go under here that he does not get to 40 touchdowns this year. Yeah, that's an interesting take. There will be some touchdown vultures in the running back room this season. 
And, yeah, some bullies on the offensive line should open things up a little bit. I'm going to hammer the over, though, Ron. 39 and a half. Uh, as you pointed out, he had 38 last season. They add an extra game this year. That alone puts him over 40, in my opinion. Uh, this guy is going to be standing behind the best offensive line he's ever had. And the weapons aren't any worse than they have been. And I think the evolution of the offense will only help his totals. I think they're, the running backs should score more this year, absolutely. But I, I think he'll still get his. I'm going to put him somewhere around 45, so I'm going to hammer the over uh, this season. So maybe not the 50 that he had in 2018 where they were having a shootout every week, but certainly more than what he had last year. Yeah, that's smart, and and you're right. You know, my heart line could definitely be on me because yeah Mahomes is going to have the best pockets he's had maybe in his career so far and, and that's only going to help and and only help with the big passing game so yeah we'll see we're going to keep track of these so we're going to hold ourselves accountable and see how well we do at the end of the year but I'm going to go ahead and go to the next one which you uh, made up this one this over under and, it, and it's it's a funny one because I, I Tyreek loves to do this but Tyreek Hill over under one and a half excessive celebration penalties. We've already seen this preseason, and I know they kind of overcalled in the preseason just to emphasize it, but taunting has been is, is going to be a point of emphasis this year, and, and Tyreek just can't help himself sometimes, whether it's flipping, you know, uh, back flipping into the end zone or, or giving the peace sign. Yeah, I, I think Tyreek, this, this one and a half uh, over under excessive celebration is a good number. I'm going to let you go first, though. What do you think he, he hits? Well, we did a little research here, and we saw that he had three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in, in 2018 or three you know, that, that could be interpreted as excessive celebration penalties. You remember in 2019, I think it was, that he jumped up in the stands and operated the camera. He's, as you mentioned, the backflips, the peace signs. He's going to pull something out, and he managed to make it all the way through 2020 without having one of these penalties. I think with the fans back in the stands – the offense lightened things up. Tyreek's going to put on a show, and you're right with the emphasis on it this year. I'm going to go over one and a half. Uh, I'll give him. I'll, I'll give him two. Let's say he's matured a little bit since 2018, but he's uh, he's not going to be able to help himself entirely. So I, I think I'm going to take the over. What do you What do you got, Ron? You know that, that's a good point about the crowd. I didn't really even consider that, but you're right. I think the the energy of the crowd may may kind of you know influence him to to go above and beyond maybe in his celebrations. So I am going to go under though. I think he's he'll hit one. He'll get one for sure. But then I think Andy gets on him so hard that that he that he really uh, you know after the one that he that he kind of shuts it off for the rest of the season. So I will go under one and a half. Like I said, he'll he'll get one, but uh, I th- I think we'll sh- he'll shut it down after that. You don't think the gloves are going to help? You, you talked about this earlier. The Tyreek Hill ha- now has these specially manufactured gloves, right, that, are, that have the peace sign on the inside of the glove so he can just show his full hand and not throw out the, the, the deuces and get penalized for it. Yeah, I think that was really smart on his part, and uh, I, I, I applaud the uh, company for working with him to do that, where, it's, yeah, his, his, it's a glove, and then his two, you know, the peace sign fingers, the thumb and the two fingers are – you know, a uh, different color than the rest of the gloves. So it still looks like a peace sign, but you know, at the same time when, you know, with the refs calling it more, maybe they, you know, even if it's not a real peace sign, maybe they still call it even if he just holds his hand up like he's stiff arming. So yeah, that's, I don't know. It, it the one and a half is a good number, but uh, I'll, I'll still go under. Well, the fun one for this year talking about the defense is 
what's Chris Jones going to be able to accomplish in terms of getting after the passer? He looks like a man possessed in the preseason. I haven't seen anything like this from Chris Chris Jones since his career high in 2018. So you set the over-under at his career high, 15 and a half sacks from 2018. You think Chris Jones sets a new career high this year? Well, if you heard the AP takeover – 10 last week uh, with CDOT, uh, you heard me hammer this over. I, I, as CDOT was kind of grilling me, or not grilling me, but he was, he was kind of, you know, uh, pushing back a little bit on it. But I don't know. I, I think, I think the main point of with Chris Jones, and I think that's how he got his career high in 2018, was that there were other really good pass rushers that were, that were taking the attention of the offense. And I think that's what's going to happen this year. I think we're going to see guys like Jaron Reed, you know, and, and just the complimentary pieces like Turk Wharton or, or, you know, maybe even a, a Josh Kando if, if, you know, in situations. I just think the talent around him on the defensive line is going to help him, you know, boost his sack numbers. And, and, I, and I do, you know, we, we know they're going to put him inside on, on the third down and passing situations, which is where he's made his money, where he's been an all-pro player. But I, I think the defensive end position sometimes, too, you know, tackles aren't going to be used to his kind of strength, and I think that's going to get him a few more sacks, too. So I am hammering the over. What about you? So it's interesting because there's this kind of conflicting idea about the Chiefs' defensive front. To, on one hand, we think they're going to be much improved. they got some young players really stepping up. Uh, there's some excitement along that front. And with Jaron Reed uh, added into the mix, you're right. There's versatile players. There's other players that, that, may not, that may feast if Jones gets double teamed. But there's also a concern about depth at the defensive end position and with, you know, Maybe it's an overreaction to, to Tim Ward being released and claimed last week. And, you know, there's a they've kept one less edge player than what they typically do. And one of those edge players is Alex Okafor, who's typically injured. Um, and one of those is Josh Kando, who just got drafted and we thought he was a project. So, you know, I don't know for sure that there's going to be somebody taking up uh, that much attention from Jones. I really think Jones – is still going to get double teamed, is still going to get a lot of attention, and that's going to allow Jaron Reed, Frank Clark, uh, even Tershawn Wharton to absolutely feast this season. So I'm optimistic about this front. I don't know if it leads to extreme production by one player or the other. Um, I think it's just going to be a better balanced uh, look, and, and you've got some some real upside with that group. So you're going under? Nah, I'm going over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With all that said, I'm still going about 16 at least for Jones. I think with the extra game this season, with his extra motivation, uh, I I see him having a a monster season. And, you know, with 16 sacks, I still think the majority of those come from the inside. Uh, Maybe at least 10 of them come from the inside. I think we had this conversation before, but I I see Chris Jones is really rotating inside and out. Uh, He's still going to be unblockable. Uh, from that three tech when he gets a chance and he'll be overpowered in some tackles in the meantime. So, so yeah, it's going to be a big year for Chris Jones either way. Well, and, and the other reason that his, uh, his newfound position versatility could help him with this number is when, if you think about it, these guards are going to be used to, you know, blocking Derek Naughty, Jaron Reed, Turk Wharton, all, you know, uh, for most of the snaps. And then all of a sudden they're going to have to deal with Chris Jones, who is just a completely different type of player than all those guys in terms of explosiveness, his length, everything you know, before the guards are blocking him every single play. Right. So maybe, maybe that kind of gives him a little boost when he does get inside that the guards just, you know, got used to, to, you know, blocking guys that may not be as lengthy or as explosive. And then all of a sudden, 
Jones comes in and, and it's a whole different ball game. So yeah, I, I that's I, I'm really confident in this. I I really do think he's going to get close to 20 sacks this year. Close. I didn't say he is hitting that, but I I do think he's going to get north of his career high. Well, speaking of close, but maybe sometimes not uh, not hitting. Uh, let's talk about running backs this this season. My guy, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, total touchdowns. You set the over-under at nine and a half. Ron's, uh, Ron's now the house, apparently, in, in Vegas. Ron's <laughs> setting the, set the over-under at nine and a half. Uh, what do you think for Clyde this year? I'm going over. I, I mentioned it earlier with the Mahomes touchdowns. I went under there because I do think more of the touchdowns are going to be spread out among uh, the rushing, uh, you know, running. It's going to be ran in more, I guess. And so I think Clyde gets – over 10 or, you know, over nine and a half touchdowns at double digit touchdowns, whether it be, you know, uh, on the ground or in the receiving game. Cause I do think they're going to use him a lot more in the receiving game as well. So he had five last year in 13 games, five total. I think it was four rushing and one receiving if I remember correctly. So yeah, I, I think, I think 10, if, if you're, if, if you think he's going to have a breakout season, which it's, you know, we're all pretty confident. And I think 10, is, is a pretty good number. But do you think that over-under is, is too big? What do you think about it? It's pretty high. Now, I, I think yeah. just historically, I think it's pretty high. When you look at the expectations for Clyde, though, I think they're, they're going to be pretty high this year. There's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, the only concern for him I may have it would be around injuries. He tends to – he's had a few nagging smaller injuries that have held him out. As you mentioned, he only played 13 – uh, of the games last season, a longer season this year, but he's already got an ankle that he was dealing with. And so you hope that that, that injuries aren't a problem. Uh, I'm going to go as high as I am on Clyde. I'm going to go under, but just barely, let's say nine total touchdowns for, for Clyde this year. Still good. Um, but I think they'll, he'll probably, you know, probably got to factor in that he may miss a little bit of time and, you know, touchdowns, uh, there's going to be only so many touchdowns to go around. And I think there's going to be a lot of players uh, vying for those touchdowns this year. So um, I'll, I'll go with nine, slightly under. How much do you factor in? And I'm sure you are factoring in uh, the other running backs on the team, maybe taking some of those touchdowns away from him. Yeah, I think you've got, you have to a little bit, you know, I don't see Jarek McKinnon taking his goal line uh, runs away from him, but I'm not sure Andy Reid's going to be able to help himself in getting creative around the goal line. And you know, even if he doesn't have to, there's still going to be, you know, some, some end around some, some, you know, uh, hungry pig, right. Type type plays that we're going to, that we're going to see on the goal line. So I'm not sure how that he's going to have a normal running backs um, share of goal line touches. And then you add into that, that Clyde, as I mentioned before, is he's a good workhorse, I think. I think he's the type of running back that's going to churn out 10, 15-yard runs on a regular basis. But he's he's not Jamal Charles. He's not breaking 50-yarders on a regular basis or even Kareem Hunt. I don't know that he's going to get loose and, and get a lot of long touchdowns. So if he's not scoring a lot of long touchdowns and he's going to have to share goal line uh, plays with Andy Reid more than anybody else, <laughs> uh, I think I think that may limit him just a bit. The first unofficial, quote unquote, depth chart of 2021, where you look at the offensive line and now it's set in stone. I know it's unofficial and, and 
we always say that this isn't necessarily made by the team, but the team I know for a fact has to sign off on this. So they're, they, they're buying into, you know, the obvious things. And there you have it. It's Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Lucas Niang, three rookies uh, along the line. But what stands out is when you go to the next part of the lineup where it's Allegretti, Remmers, Lythe, LDT, and Wiley, that backup offensive line is probably better than you had in the Super Bowl, the backup mm-hmm. five guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I had said that all along, um, that I felt that way. And I think now you're built for the long haul, whereas there was just quite the fall off last year because you didn't necessarily have the depth here. And I think this year, if a Trey Smith has to win a game, man, you got LDT who started for Mm -hmm. five years for you. And then the Super Bowl that you won, Andrew Mm -hmm. Wiley, he he was able to manage that right tackle position when the chiefs went down to new Orleans and was probably the toughest game of the year where the saints were calling it a back game. Uh, Clyde is injured and you're victorious. And so that's my first point about the unofficial depth chart. A, it locks in the rookies. And B, you just take a look at the backup offensive linemen. You're in a way better spot than you were in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. And and I think that's uh, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the evaluations people are making of the Chiefs is that they're making this decision that the Chiefs have improved their offensive line with three rookies on it. Um, you know, even national commentators are doing that. Um, although you'll occasionally run across one that doesn't seem to have understood what the Chiefs did in the offseason and, and think this is a line that still needs to be proved. And, and to a large extent, it does. You know, it's not the same to be in preseason as it is in the regular season. So there's a lot that we still have to see. But, um, you know, it is and well thought of at this a, point. A point I want to make here, too. And this will be the last thing about the offensive line is hot offensive line talk. Hopefully once the Browns Chiefs game happens and the offensive line is fixed, we can finally move on to more exciting things. <laughs> but it's not only 10 deep, it's 12 deep or even 13 deep because you have Prince Teguanogo and Darrell Williams who are up and coming players on the practice squad where if someone goes down and mm-hmm. it's it's, you know, that trickle down effect where backup moves up, you call up one of these guys. I think they're, they're pretty up and coming guys. And then you have Kyle Long come back for week seven. Uh, at a certain point, and he provides you uh, depth. They they really liked Long in the offseason, didn't end up working out because of the injury and the PUP list. So now we'll wait and see. But So you're not only 10 deep, you're, you're 13 deep in a sense. All right, uh, I, I looked at the rest of the unofficial depth chart, and I'll make a few points, John, and I'll give you an opportunity to say anything if you, if you want. I don't think it was anything really new that we took away from the unofficial depth chart, but what... It it did for us is it just confirmed some surprises that maybe we didn't think were going to be happening a month ago. For example, case in point here, uh, Darius Fountain simply being on the team instead of Cornell Powell. Right. I don't care. I know the Chiefs kingdom extends to St. Louis and Nebraska and all of the Midwest now. <laughs> there is not one person in the quote-unquote Chiefs kingdom that really ever could have predicted Darius Fountain over Cornell Powell. No, I mean, I wouldn't have. I don't think either one of us would have. Um, and um, uh, it, it's an amazing story, frankly, that this guy who really couldn't uh, make it happen on another team finds a, a role with the Chiefs. But, you know, that's sometimes how it works, because, uh, you know, when you get to a different team, um, you know, you might be a better fit for it and uh, you might have a better opportunity to be effective with that new team. So it's not exactly an unknown story. Uh, We see these kinds of things all the time. It'd be great 
uh, if this is the moment where uh, Fountain finds his niche and can be an effective player. But certainly it's a surprise. Our staff writer, one of our new and very talented staff writers, did the postgame show last week with Steven Serta in line into the postgame show this week uh, with Serta again after the week one game. Rocky Magana is breaking the Arrowhead Pride ticker this morning. Arrowheadlines, I'll pull the curtain back, is first uh, with NFL.com. Disrespecting the Chiefs a little bit on the triplet, the triplet sure. conversation. Yeah. Next up, Darius Fountain is most likely to become this year's Justin Jefferson. I saw this in our ticker. The way that it works is these writers will submit John and I the articles, touch them up, edit them, bada bing, bada boom. That's how editing works. Throw them up on the website. I said, I cannot believe I'm going to run this. But here we are. Uh, we've had a <laughs> lot of people just tweeting back at the Arrowhead Pride Twitter account, not reading the article. Uh, this is such a, a Homer thing. But it, what it came out of, and I'm sure Rocky will explain this on Twitter and Ron Koppel uh, touch upon it maybe on the next AP out of structure after the game next Monday, is that there was some kind of dare exchanged about Justin Jefferson. Therese Fountain isn't even a rookie. That's the, that's the, that's the crazy right, thing about it. Right. Justin Jefferson was a rookie. Therese Fountain has had six games. He, he's a third-year player that it seems like he's finally coming into his own. But what you can read on ArrowheadPride.com is these guys have a similar uh, physical stature. I just don't know if he'll get the opportunity, at least right away. It might take an, an injury for Defoe to really get a look in what I <clears throat> I tend to think the – position um, replacing Sammy Watkins, which falls probably under like the Pringle or Robinson. I think McCole Hardman will have an elevated role, but it won't be in the exact way that the mm -hmm. Chiefs use Sammy yeah. Watkins. I thought that was a grand misconception, but good to have some depth here. And I don't think it's going to be Justin Jefferson's like 12 to 1400 yards, but would I be stunned if Defoe, right set of circumstances, he ends up with 700 ish, 750 mm -hmm. if, if things break his way. No, because he looked that good in the preseason. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'd like to see what he ends up with. Uh, and if he can push, like we saw him push a draft pick, which Fred Feach has never done, out of mm -hmm. the lineup. Now can he challenge what would be the Pringle and the Robinson to get more playing time with the offense? I think there's a chance of that because he wouldn't be on the roster otherwise. Right. Um, obviously, the Chiefs see something in him. And uh, and maybe it's just a question of him finding the right place. Uh, and, and that'd be awesome uh, for us to get that kind of a production out of a player like that. Of course, it's a crowded room and it's going to be hard for any one of these receivers to get more than uh, five or six hundred yards. So uh, and, and I think you're also making a good point about Sammy Watkins. We spent the whole offseason talking about replacing Sammy Watkins with, you know, the true X receiver, so on and so forth. But, you know, the best NFL coaches tailor their approaches to the players that are available to them. Right. And I think that we'll probably see some of that this year. Uh, maybe that's why we've got four tight ends on the roster is that Reed has realized it may be difficult to find uh, someone as good as Tyreek Hill on the other side as a wide receiver. So let's, uh, let's do something different with the tight ends. And this is the, this is the way Andy Reed thinks, you know, this, this is, is Push and pull, you know? This is a little inside baseball and a little bit how sausage has, is made type thing. But I think we're running into an article because you have Tyreek Hill, let's conservatively say 1250 for the yardage. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have Travis Kelsey, let's conservatively, conservatively say 1250 for the yardage. So that's mm -hmm. 2,500. Yeah. Let's give Clyde Edwards Lair 500 receiving yards, right? Mm -hmm. I, put Patrick Mahomes at 5,000 yards. He has the extra game. So you're only left with 2,000 yards. How are those 2,000 yards right. split up? 
amongst mm-hmm. the rest of the team. Do you have room for another thousand from McColl? Then you're only left with a thousand for Noah Gray, Demarcus Rodley. Like, where where mm-hmm. do these numbers for individually come from? Especially considering we're being conservative with Hill and Kelsey at twelve fifty, which is crazy to say, but we well, are. Didn't didn't Demarcus Robinson have like almost four hundred yards last year? Six hundred, right? Yeah, yeah, for two years yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah, and and this is a guy that people don't even think about as he's like an afterthought for most right. fans, you know. So um, I think the idea that there could be, uh, you know, another receiver to get that. The point stands though that there's going to be a lot of guys competing for a relatively small number of yards. And maybe that's why uh, Reed has adopted this strategy to bring in some more tight ends and and do something different, trying to get it all out of the wide, the wide receivers. All right, moving on with the unofficial depth chart. I already talked about the fact that three rookies are on the offensive line. That's been a topic of conversation for a while now. I I think finishing up with the offense, the fact that Jody Fortson and Jarek McKinnon are simply on the roster is a little bit of, of a surprise. Fortson, I think, will have a role on this team, and we'll see if it grows as the year goes on. But that four tight end thing, I think you're going to see it once or twice a game. I really do. I think that's a package that Andy Reid is not going to be able to help himself with. He's going to call, back, <laughs> call back Tyree Kill and say, listen, you take me either here. I'll give you a little, a little room to breathe. Uh, and then Jarek McKinnon, I think, will have a role in this team as well, uh, yeah. e- even though he projects similar to Clyde edwards you know, later in the game. Clyde might be a little tired. You throw Jarek McKinnon out there, fresh legs, and truly, uh, I mean, I, he's trying to kind of just been waiting in the wings with that injury situation that he's had in his career for a while now to get an opportunity to be productive. I, I think you'll see McKinnon maybe more than you realize. You know, I've always found it interesting that uh, coaches and analysts, pundits, writers, all kinds of observers, fans even, uh, will talk about, oh, well, we've got four running backs and they each bring a different kind of style to the game. And isn't that great? And I've often wondered, why is that great? You know, if you've got a good running back who fits in your offense, wouldn't you want to have another running back who also fits in your offense the same way to be his backup? And that's one thing that I think we can think about, about McKinnon, because I think he's going to be more of an an Edwards Alaire style of player than we have previously had. I, I think it's fine to have a change of pace back for third down. You know, a guy who is a bruiser more than a guy who's going to go dancing through the line and pick up 12 yards on first down. I think it's fine to have a third down back who's better suited for that kind of a short yardage situation. But I'm just not really necessarily buying into the idea that it's an advantage to have four different kinds of running backs on a football team. I'm, I'm not sure how that logic works. And I think it's, the, it's always bugged me. So the one point I have on this and then we can move on to the defensive side. I just am happy for Daryl Williams that yeah. there aren't any of these NFL name slash bums <laughs> in camp anymore stealing some Ooh. of his reps. I think he's worked for a long time to really get the number two third down back carries. No LaShawn McCoy, no Le'Veon Bell, who, by the way, just got his first tryout as of yesterday with the Baltimore Ravens, and it took two significant injuries uh, one to J.K. Dobbins and another to Justice Hill to even bring Le'Veon Bell in. So ca- case in point, maybe don't mess with the head coach. who's got a fourth of the league under his tree. Now, Harbo is included in that. So 
uh, maybe that is a little bit overblown in itself. I, I do want to say that almost as a devil's advocate, but yeah, Le'Veon Bell has not been able to find really any tryouts. And even look at like L- L.A. with the Rams. Uh, I'm stunned that they didn't bring him in just to see, but we'll see if he catches on with the Ravens. As of this recording, uh, we are, what, at Tuesday morning. He has not signed uh, as of yet, but again, tried out with them on Monday. Well, he didn't exactly set the league on fire after no. he left the Steelers. I mean, you know, if he goes to the Jets and doesn't do well, people are going to say, well, the Jets are a crappy team. You know, what well, do you Well, the expect? Adam Gase Jets, right? Yeah, right, now, right, right. He, he might be great going to the Jets now, but that's too late with yeah. that organization. But, yeah. uh, but then to come to the Chiefs and not be able to be any kind of a contributor, that's not going to reflect well on your resume. So no. I, I feel bad for the guy. He certainly uh, fit it. Talk about a niche player. He fit in perfectly with the Steelers during his years there that he was playing and 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 was a hugely productive player. But uh, since then, he just really hasn't shown much of anything. All right. Moving on to the defensive side again, things we knew, but it confirms surprises in a sense that we had during the offseason. Chris Jones listed as defensive end. I don't think we need to go in too deep here. We've talked quite a bit about this, but just to see it on the paper heading into the week <laughs> one game, it's it, to me, it's significant. It's primary position. Uh, first and second downs has now been changed and uh, eager to see what that means as far as sack production, because I, I think it, I, I, why, that's one gonna, going to be my bold prediction to pull the curtain back even further uh, when we put up our bold predictions for the season. I think Chris Jones is going to break the sack record. I understand that that is bold. He's got the extra game. I really think this is going to lead to more production when it comes to sacks and pressures and whatnot. Uh, so Chris Jones locked in at defensive end. Yeah, bold with a capital B there, buddy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. What's older, pick, picking the Chiefs to go undefeated two years ago or, or breaking the sack record? <laughs> I think, I actually think it's the undefeated pick. I, I really, it, Chris Jones yeah. looked like a force this preseason. And he really looks. Yeah, he really did. And I think that it's going to the way it's going to be interpreted outside of Kansas City, those of us who haven't paid close attention to the Chiefs uh, as, as close attention as we do, um, are going to look at this as Chris Jones being moved to defensive end. Right. And what is really going to happen, I'm, I'm convinced of this, that what's really going to happen is that he's just going to be on the field as a defensive end more often than he has been in the past. What is it? Thirty percent of the snaps last year, he was lined up on the outside. Uh, so now maybe it's going to be fifty-fifty, and the defenses are literally going to have no idea where he's going to be coming from on an individual play. I, I think that does two things. I think it makes it possible for him to be a very productive player, and I also think it makes it possible for other people to be very productive players. So yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think, and I and the Chiefs too. They have not really invested premium picks. This is always a topic yeah. as well in the secondary, mm-hmm. but building up that defensive line makes me feel far better about Ben Neiman, for example, who now has to sure. play because of Willie Gay or having a younger secondary where you're throwing in Traverius Ward. Who's, you know, he's an average player, and that's that's good enough if your defensive line is above average. Right, right, absolutely. and I And I think that that might be part of what the Chiefs are going for here is again using the players that they have in right. the most effective way and uh, that's always the har- hallmark of a great coaching staff is that if they're able to do that that was always Don Shula's thing that's why he remains to my mind the greatest football coach of all time uh because he always uh tailored his approach to the game based on the players that he had and it's not always under your control 
You know, you don't control everything that happens in the draft. You don't control what players are available to you as undrafted free agents. Uh, you can't always afford to get the players you want. So you, on some level, have to get by with players that come to you in a way that you don't really expect. So to be successful, you've got to figure out a way to use those specific players, the cards that you are dealt. And uh, Shula was always amazing at that. And and I'm I'm impressed to see the Chiefs doing this with Chris Jones. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week. As promised, we would continue with the Great British Chiefs show, followed by Show and BK, and finishing up with a game preview of sorts with CBS sideline reporter Tracy Wolfson. But let's go across the pond and see how Tom and the Brit Chief feel about this matchup against the Cleveland Browns. Let's get on to this this week, because it is, it is an exciting week. Have you got anything planned? Are you, have you got your beers and snacks and everything like that sorted? Is a phone off the hook? You know, have you booked Monday off work? Has it been told the other half? Yeah. Don't bother me. <laughs> um, Don't bother me. This, this particular time slot, the, the 325 or the 925 to us over here, in my opinion, is the perfect time slot for football. Yeah. Because you get the, the noon games, the six o'clock games over here. You can sit, chill out watch red zone just get used to football being back the kids are normally up for the first hour then at seven o'clock they go to bed then you can just chill out watch that eat your food and then you're like you've really got like your football juices going at this point when it gets to like half nine then half nine the chiefs come on and the game still ends at a reasonable time it's done by half 12 one o'clock so for me this this game slot is the most perfect i'm going to go easy on the beer because if I end up turning every Sunday into a drinking session, then I might find myself in a meeting or two in a few in a few uh, years' time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna knock that on the head, I think. And um, yeah, just sit, chill, enjoy the game. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's the build up, isn't it? I think you can watch the six o'clock games with a bit of like you know excitement, thinking, mm-hmm. "Oh, the main event's coming on now." Yeah, you know, you're waiting for the Chiefs game, the main event. Yeah, I'll probably have a beer or two. I won't go wild, I don't think, because I, I want to keep an eye on what is actually going on because we've waited so long <laughs> yeah. for football. We've I got don't want to just pass out. I hope you've heard. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to come on to uh, next Tuesday or next Wednesday show and we're going to be like, oh, so what's, what did you think of the game, uh, Tom? I don't know, I blacked out. <laughs> I blacked out, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember it. <laughs> and what, I'll watch it now in 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, let's, uh, should we have a quick talk about the game? Let's do it. We're, we're here to, we're here to preview now, the yeah. Cleveland Browns. We, going forward, we're going to have like a hybrid show from next week where we're going to talk about the previous game and the looking ahead to the next game. But obviously, we haven't got anything to review at the moment. So let, let, let's spend a little bit longer than we normally would on previewing the upcoming game. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's not review our uh, weekend away, mate. Let's not do that. No. Right. Well, uh, obviously, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, talk in this game because obviously it's Patrick Mahomes versus 
uh, Baker Mayfield again. And there's been a lot of talk and hype regarding the Browns this season as well, being one of the uh, the big teams to kind of focus on this year. Um, and the fact that they'll probably focus in on the fact that they want to avenge their defeat to the Chiefs. It's a tasty matchup, and we've already highlighted this as being one of the big games to watch in our first five weeks for the Chiefs as well, yeah. which is um, you know something we've highlighted in previous shows that this is this is really kind of the business end already for the mm-hmm. Chiefs this year um, in, in, in this schedule. Have the have the Browns really improved this year? Is it or is it all just you know smoke and mirrors on their part, and and they're just looking back at the championship game, thinking they're there or thereabouts now? Yeah, I we had this conversation on the last show about the Browns and like how and I voiced my opinion how I feel like they're in a tier, a third tier of a few AFC teams, and I do feel like they're entrenched in that. I do feel like also feel like they're, they're they are below the Bills and even further below the Chiefs. And like if you're the Browns and you're looking at the the playoff game, the divisional game back in January, like mm-hmm. you were playing Chad Henney for a quarter and a half of that game. Like my homes went out of that game early and it was still really close. They had enough opportunities there to win that game, including like not letting Chad Henney run for a third and 13 and then letting the Chiefs convert a fourth and inches. Like you don't do that. You're driving to go and win the game. Like it's just, I feel, I like the Browns and I don't want to dunk on them. Yeah. You've said this before about the Browns. Yeah. But they are... I feel like they are massively overhyped because the media, the NFL world is so desperate to find mm. a rival for the Chiefs. And this, this is going to sound so arrogant. I really hope no Browns fans listen to this because if we do lose on Sunday, we're going to get all sorts of DMs and messages sent our way and all sorts of playbacks because that has happened in the past. But um, the Browns have improved. Obviously, they've improved defensively. They've bought in some guys. They've bought in Troy Hill, John Johnson. They've drafted Greg Newsom. They've bought in Jadevian Clowney. And despite the sacks not being there for Clowney, the pressure certainly were. So him playing on that defensive line with Miles Garrett will surely make them better. But it's what they can do offensively. Like, they are very good at running the football. Like, very, very yeah, good. Probably the best of me. Yeah. That two-headed monster of Chubb and Kareem Hunt is... Out of this world, good. Like it's the best running game we've seen since Thomas Jones and Jamal Charles in 2010. Like there's a little nod to the past there, <laughs> whether that's actually true or not. But you know, um, um, whether that's true or not, we'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, I like the Browns. I feel like they have improved. I just feel like the Chiefs have also improved enough that this game could get out of hand. But at the same time, we wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs didn't come out in first, second gear, maybe only got into third gear and then didn't take it up a notch from there and there's a close game come the end of it. Um, it could go, it could be one of those. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at obviously the records from both teams last season, um, Browns were 11 and 5 and I think, they, didn't they finish third in their division? And got through the wild cards, was it? Potentially, yeah. They, they definitely got through the wild card because they had to beat the Steelers last week to get into it, didn't That's they? Right, and then they, did. and they faced the Steelers the following week and absolutely obliterated them in the playoffs. They did. I remember that now. I remember that. Um, so, you know, they, they, they didn't have, obviously, the easiest route in, um, but apparently they did have the fourth easiest strength of schedule last season, mm-hmm. which, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you take strength of schedule as being a, a thing. I know it's been quite a contentious thing in some of our chats about, mm-hmm. you know, the strength of schedule, how do you actually measure it and what's it all about, you know? But um, I mean, if they, if that is 
if that holds some truth, obviously the fourth easiest strength of the schedule. And the Chiefs apparently had the 14th easiest last year as well. Yeah. You start seeing a bit of a divide there, a bit of a gulf in 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 in, in class, don't you? And yeah. I think you're right. I think looking at this Browns team or what they achieved last year, it kind of reminded me of that year when the uh, the Jags went on a bit of a run, didn't they? And they got to, I think, didn't they get the AFC Championship game against the Patriots? They did, yeah. Or something? yeah. And it, it was a bit like, oh, this is it. The Jags have arrived. Mm. And the Browns need to be careful on this because, yes, they're riding this nice wave at the minute. It's great to see, obviously, the Browns being, um, you know, the team that everyone's talking about at the moment. But they need to be careful because the Jags really did kind of dive bomb from that point forward, didn't they? Yeah, that's that's tough, though. That's tough on the Browns. Like, as much as I want to agree with you, because it would be funny, like... You're talking about Blake Bortles and Baker Mayfield here, and I know you haven't got like the greatest opinion of Baker Mayfield, but to compare him and Blake Bortles would just be out of order. Like it has to be out of order. Like and it's unfair on the unfair on the um, unfair on the uh, Browns. And like looking at that Jags team, yes, they were loaded on on D, but offensively they weren't that great. It all ran through Leonard Fournette. Where the Browns are a little bit more balanced. They have the two running backs, but also they've got weapons in. Uh, pass catching as well in OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper. There are there are guys there that can catch the football and especially create yards after the catch. So I don't I don't agree with that entirely. And back to the strength of schedule thing, you can only beat who's in front of you. That's mm-hmm. that like that's, that's it. True. That you you cannot do any more than beat who's in front of you. So to sit there and say, oh well, they only had the four, they had the fourth easiest schedule. That's not their fault. That no. it isn't it wasn't their fault. Like they. They play in a tough division. Yes, the Bengals are rubbish, but the Steelers are a good team. The Ravens are a good team. Like they know that four games a year, they're going to have to absolutely bring it if they want to be in the, in the division conversation. So for them to get to eleven and five and to improve as much as they did, especially under a first year coach in Kevin Stefanski, then they've done really, really well. Getting that playoff win, we know how important that is. We know from experience how important it is. Like we all still talk about that 2015 win against the Texans because it was so long and it was so special for us to go out and win a game like that. And the Browns did it last year. They got their playoff win. I hope they build on it because it would be interesting to see more AFC teams come and like have a go at the Chiefs. It would it would would make it fun. But mm. right now, you are right when they have to be careful against com- being complacent. But I don't think they are going to be. I still think they're going to be a good side. Okay. Uh, incidentally, just um, while we're on the strength of schedule, who's got the easiest strength of schedule this year? You're going to say the Cleveland Browns. No, they're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's the books. Of course, yeah. it's the books. Tom Brady led books. Easiest strength of schedule yet again. What and, a surprise. And he comes into week one with Dallas Cowboys missing all of their offensive lines. So Dak's going to get murdered on. Basically, yes. what happens to Mahomes on in the Super Bowl is going to happen to Dak on Thursday night. So, exactly. yeah. If, I, if I'm started. the Cowboys, if I'm the Cowboys, <laughs> if that offensive line isn't, isn't in shape, I don't send Dak out there. I just no. don't. I don't like with all his with his injury issues and his shoulder problems. Just give him another week. Like it's not worth it because the, the, we've seen what the Bucks' defensive line can do to a depleted offensive line. We know better than anyone else what they can do. And if yeah. they're missing Zach Martin and a couple of other guys, what's the point? There is no point. <laughs> There's no point. There don't is no. Just email. just send Zeke out there. Zet Zeke and whoever the backup quarterback is, and let them be the sacrificial lambs. Let, let them get eaten up by that horrifically good Bucks D line. Don't don't let Dak be that guy. Come on, he's already missed. Zeke is a wild cat. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Zika's a wild card. <laughs> Just yeah. go out there, son. Off you go. Go on. Do do whatever you need to. Go Zeke's going to have 300 carries for negative five <laughs> yards on Thursday night football. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the other side of the ball. The Chiefs offense, this is the one that has far fewer questions than the defense. This is really about upside, whereas the defense is about the the downside. What is the, the floor for the defense versus the ceiling for the offense? The number one that I thing that I'm going to be looking for is the same thing really that we've been watching all preseason. It's the O-line. And less so the interior. This uh, Kind of like what you were saying about Legereus Need. This may be completely unfair what I'm doing here. I'm not worried about Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, or Trey Smith. I think they're going to be pretty good. And also, that's not really where the Cleveland Browns beat you. They beat you on the outside with Miles Garrett because he's an absolute monster. He looks like he flosses with children. And I don't want him going up and beating Orlando Brown Jr. or Lucas Niang. I don't need that in my life. So the number one thing that I'm watching for offensively how do Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang hold up in their first regular season action together against a monster pass rusher who legitimately has another case? We talked about it with Chris Jones. Miles Garrett has a case to be defensive player of the year this year if things go well as well. So I, I'm fascinated to see what that matchup looks like. Just totally disrespecting Malik Jackson in the middle of that defensive line. He's <laughs> fine, but kind of like Donovan <laughs> Peoples Jones. If he beats me, then yeah. so be it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you do have to live with that. Uh, You know, we talked about it a lot in the preseason, BK, and you specifically on this show were really, really paying attention to those tackles and the individual snaps that we were seeing kind of play out. And then, you know, there was the storyline in training camp of like, Orlando Brown just got torched in these one-on-ones today. And Lucas Niang was just getting... You know, rolled over by Chris Jones as if any of that stuff matters. I don't think you can expect this, these tackles specifically to look like they're elite tackles. Like offensive line is difficult in the NFL who knew, but it takes time for those guys to work as a unit because they do legitimately like you got to bank on the guy next to you doing his job and the guy after that and the guy after that. You got to know that those guys are going to are going to help where they're supposed to help and do the things that they're supposed to do. And so I do think it's going to take a while. Like Miles Garrett prior to getting COVID last year and he said after he got COVID, he needed an inhaler, he needed oxygen on the sidelines and stuff like that. Like it really messed him up. Prior to that, he was the front runner for defensive player of the year. Like we're talking about a dude who's got the case to be the best pass rusher in the NFL right now. And they move him around. He's not just coming from strictly one side. So I don't know if Clowney's going to be available in this game. He's already got something going on. And I don't even know if Jadavian Clowney's good at this point. Like it's I, so I, fitting. I, it's so I, fitting that Clowney and Frank Clark are yeah, we'll see. We're not sure if they're going to be at 100% for this first game. Who yeah. Who could have possibly guessed that? Yeah, like I have no idea if Jadavian Clowney's even good at football anymore, but we might find out on Sunday. And Miles Garrett is exceptional, though. And Miles Garrett's been doing it by himself in Cleveland for a minute already. So he doesn't really need Jadavian Clowney. I'm sure he'd like Jadavian Clowney to play, but Miles Garrett can have an impact in this game either way. And so, yeah, you got to be locked into those tackles. And I'm not necessarily convinced either one of these guys is like an elite tackle or anything like that. You just need him to not let Patrick Mahomes 
like just lay him out. Like you just need him to not blow Patrick Mahomes up. Like just give him enough time to get the ball off. If he gets hit a couple of times, you don't love it, but you live with it. And you know, it's going to happen because miles Garrett does it to everybody. So you got to live with those. There, there are going to be some hits on the quarterback. And the nice thing this year, Mahomes seemingly is healthy. And he's going to be able to run out of some of the pressure that he couldn't run away from last year when he was dealing with that turf toe. So that that will be helpful. He's going to be able to navigate the pocket a little bit more. But the number one thing to watch, without question, is those offensive tackles. Number two for me, we've read a lot this week, or there's been a lot of reporting, some uh, murmurs, if you will, about the Chiefs opening up the offense in a way that they never have before. This is something that's... Very interesting to me, Serta. I think that we're going to see their running game utilized in a way that is completely different than what we had seen previously. Some of that is this new offensive line. A lot of it is the new offensive line. Some of it, I think, is stuff that Andy Reid has been wanting to do for years, and he's just now having the personnel to be able to get away with it. And some of it is just Clyde Edwards-Alaire, hopefully, being at or near 100% so they can utilize him in ways that they wanted to going into last season. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire is my number two guy to watch. I think there's a chance he has a really good game in this one. I think they want to get him involved. I think they're going to run a lot more power and counter and pulling schemes than we have seen in the past. And the other guy to kind of tag along in this, I think Jarek McKinnon is somebody to watch. Those two running backs for the Chiefs, I think you're going to see them more involved in the passing game than we had seen for the vast majority of last season, especially once they get into the red zone. I'm very curious to see what they have schemed up for McKinnon. I think they've clearly got some kind of a package ready for him. Yeah, I am curious to see how they utilize the running backs in this game. I don't think they're going to run the ball. Like I I do think this is going to be a passing game for them and – I think that you can pass on the Browns. Their their defense is much improved. They made a bunch of free agent additions on top of the talent that they already had. So their secondary is going to be better. I think their defense is going to be a top 10 defense potentially, but I think the way you can still beat them is by passing on them. But I do love McKinnon and Clyde and the question marks that we have about them in the passing game this season because the Chiefs, And this is like a long con from Andy, like the chiefs, you know, for several years, you could bank on the chiefs running back, having a a big role as a a rusher and a passer being heavily involved in the passing game. And then Andy said, I got my homes. Now I can go an entire season without caring about utilizing my running back as a pass catcher at all. And so now all these defenses are going to be looking at film from the preseason and from last year of the Chiefs never utilizing the backs that way or never doing it in a consistent fashion. And then Andy's going to come out here and just show us a bunch of stuff that we've never seen before. And so I feel like the Browns defense is just going to be like, wait, hang on. What? Why is Clyde and Jarek on the, on the field at the same time? What, wait, why are both of them splitting out? What is going on? Like we're, I think we're going to see some of that stuff where these guys are heavily utilized in the passing game in a way that we're not really expecting. I, I think there's every opportunity for that. I was also watching the Ole Miss game the other night. I, for anybody that is listening to this that hasn't seen it, go tweet, go to Twitter and just search Ole Miss pass running back, and you're going to see a play that they ran where they're running back. It, 
it was wild, man. It was almost like a pop pass to the running back over the top. It, it was a thing of beauty that I'm going to be legitimately surprised and disappointed if we don't see it from Andy Reid on Sunday. It feels like the exact type of play that Andy Reid would go out there and make because we always see new stuff from him, as you mentioned, in the opening weeks of an NFL season. I remember a few years ago now, I think it was the first first week with uh this was the final year of Alex Smith when they played against the Patriots and the offense was like, hold on, what is this? What are we even witnessing right now? And it was because they had been studying Texas tech all off season. So they just brought a bunch of Texas tech stuff into the game with them. So we're going to see something. There will be some kind of a wrinkle, both in the passing and the running game going into this one. And that brings us to our final player to watch on offense in this game. How about Patrick Mahomes? I enjoy watching him. He's really fun. And in the month of September, he's 10-0 and with 32 touchdowns and zero interceptions. What we were just talking about happens for a reason. It's because Patrick Mahomes is freaking unbelievable. He is Thanos. Nobody else can come up against him. He is the guy that ends the world. He is the crusher of all of your dreams. Patrick Mahomes in the month of September is completely unstoppable. And I frankly just can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see what he looks like in this offense at full health once again. You got nothing for McColl or, or, or Defo or any of these other wide receivers on, on Sunday? It's just we got to watch Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon is, is going to be a lot of fun, and especially behind that new revamped offensive line. I can't wait. I agree. It's it's a lot more fun to just watch Patrick Mahomes than it is to like watch McColl and be frustrated because he might have a 65-yard touchdown in this game, but I guarantee there's going to be two or three times where you get real frustrated watching him uh, run a route that looks like it's wrong or, or drops an easy pass or something like that. So, yeah, and it's you know the last time we saw him play a regular season game, he was doing miraculous things, but he was doing miraculous things while he was trying to stay off of his back the entire time. And it was the worst career performance of his life. And it, it really didn't even feel like it had anything to do with him. Like he was doing everything he possibly could. So yeah, I, I do think this week in this game, which is kind of shaping up to be the game of the week, in a lot of ways that it's the one everybody's kind of talking about. Like these guys can be, this can be our AFC championship game that we're seeing in week one of the NFL season. It's, it's important. And I expect like nothing less like Patrick Mahomes in September is about as safe as a bet as anything in the NFL right now. So yeah, I mean, you just expect him to go out there and ball out and look like he's the best player in football. And that's what you want to see. And I think that's what you're going to get. Like, even if it winds up being a close game and I hope it's a shootout personally, um, he's still going to come out on top in my mind. Like he, he's still going to find a way to do what he's always done, which is like, you know, never lose a game by du double digits prior to that Super Bowl because he's just insane and doesn't even make sense. Let's get into this game. I, I was wondering as you're coming into Kansas city to cover this, what are some of the storylines that you're looking at in this particular week one matchup? 
Well, I mean, if you take Kansas City and we had a chance to speak to them today, I think there's a lot of question marks going on right now on the defensive side of the ball and specifically with Tyron Matthew. We still don't know whether he'll be out there. And one of the things I asked Fags is when you don't have Tyron Matthew, certainly you lose the talent on the field, but you lose the energy, the emotion, the leadership off the field. And in a game like this, you're going to need that because you know that Cleveland's going to bring it. And so, you know, Anthony Hitchens, a guy who, who might be able to step up, who will be able to step up in that role, but losing Tyra Matthew would be really would real be really tough. And as Fag said, they wouldn't be able to do some of the things they'd like to do. Um, I think that's a question mark. I think Frank Clark being potentially limited is a question mark. But then you go to the offensive side because I think that's what everyone wants to talk about, of course, because mm-hmm. who doesn't want to talk about the <laughs> offensive line? Because that is the yeah. storyline going into this, this revamped uh, offensive line. I had a chance to watch it. ESPN today and I heard I I don't remember who it was is like they're the best offensive line in football come week 18 well that might be true and Andy Reid said maybe but we have no idea how they're going to gel how they're going to perform against this defensive line these edge rushers of Cleveland and so they added Davian Clowney whether he'll be able to play with the illness but I think that's the biggest question mark is seeing how this offensive line uh, that has a few inexperienced guys on it gels together and then watching Patrick. I think what you're going to see from him is especially in front of a really good offensive line is, is one of the things he pointed out is he doesn't want to just rush to scramble. He, he really wants to take his time in the pocket, make sure that he is comfortable in there before scrambling. He doesn't have to take off as quickly as he, as he's, feels like he tends to do. And it's funny, you watch a guy like him who's so good, and you're like, how can he improve? Well, he finds things to improve on every year. And I think after the Super Bowl loss, he made a point of watching every single play in that Super Bowl game and realized that maybe sometimes he took off too quickly. So I think we're going to see a little bit of that. Um, I'd love to see Clyde Edwards-Alaire and what they do in the run game, um, how they get him more involved in the passing game as well. So there's a lot to unfold on that side of the ball. And then, of course, you have the Cleveland Browns. And I wouldn't say they're out for revenge, but this is a big game for them. This is a a tone setter. This is a chance for them to kind of make a statement. Um, They've had a lot of changeover. I think their defense is going to be really good this year. Um, One of the players I'm obsessed with right now is Manusum. I think he's going to be great stepping in there from Northwestern. He's going to be tough. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play him. Um, so I think you, you have that and you have OBJ back, right? And how does he fit back in? Uh, and then how healthy is he? So I think there's a lot of pieces, you know, there's a lot of different storylines. And I go into a game with a lot of stuff and you just don't know where that game's going to go. So you kind of prepare for every angle and, and hope that it all works out. But there's a lot of storylines coming into this one.